What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. It's after 2 a.m. in the Central Time Zone, and yet I am still absolutely wired from Monday night at Bush Stadium because it hit close to home. And for listeners of the Be Shafe Daily podcast, you guys already know what I'm talking about. Busy day at the ballpark. But Dylan Carlson was largely at the center of it all. And considering this is a hashtag everyday Dylan podcast, you knew that that was going to give us a lot to talk about tonight on B-Shape Daily. The problem is the Carlson stuff came as part of a much larger dump of information from John Mozalock on Monday afternoon. And I was doing my radio show, so I wasn't actually there for John Mozalock, but we've got audio from Mo that we want to play tonight on the show because he essentially waved the white flag on the season coming out and saying the quiet part out loud about where the Cardinals were heading at the upcoming trade deadline in much more depth and detail than we got when he had the interview with Martin Kilcoin of Fox two the other day. There's a lot more going on here that we're going to have to dive into here from Mo. I'm going to break down my thoughts on all of that. However, I want to begin tonight strategically by starting with Dylan Carlson and the news that essentially came out in the midst of all of this, that when Tyler O'Neill returns from the injured list, which is potentially as early as Tuesday after he was at the ballpark Monday, getting checked out, possible they would send him back out on a rehab assignment, but John Mozeliak seeming to indicate that probably wouldn't be necessary and that he will be rejoining the team very soon. And when that happens, He's the starting left fielder again. Just like that, Tyler O'Neill bestowed a spot once again in the starting lineup. But what does that mean for Dylan Carlson? Well, not good things. (laughs) I can tell you that much. Based on the way it broke down Monday afternoon, we'll read between the lines and give you our thoughts on exactly what it entails for Dylan. But then Dylan Carlson had to go and have one of the best games he's had all season long. Probably the worst thing Ollie Marmel could have done if he wanted this fire to go out, is put Dylan Carlson in the leadoff spot against the lefty and let him go to work because Dylan absolutely went to work. He did it at the plate. He did it from both sides of the plate, and he did it in the field, manning center field, and doing a nice job behind Miles Michaels. Cardinals win at Bush Stadium 6-4. to four. Maybe I buried the lead on that, but honestly, with everything that John Mozalek said Monday afternoon, the result of the day-to-day Cardinal games is no longer the lead when we're talking about the larger picture of this team. Waving the white flag, going into cell mode. He even said at one point, made reference to the three openings in the starting rotation. It was a question about next year, but he basically was being asked about what's the difference between last offseason when you tried to pitch to free agent pitchers the opportunity available versus the opportunity that's going to be available this next time and, and how you change your approach. He said, well, we've got three open spots in the rotation. I guess forgetting that uh, Adam Wainwright's still on the team, but he's on the injured list, so that's fair. But uh, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, those those guys are on this team for now. But that's a peek into the mindset right there. If you want to know expectations on are the Cardinals going to be looking to hang on to Flaherty and Montgomery in order to maybe sign him in the offseason, no. The president of baseball operations has mentally already counted them as gone. So 
I think they'll both be traded. There was a fellow in the uh, comment section on YouTube yesterday who told me I didn't know what I was talking about. The Cardinals aren't going to trade Flaherty or Montgomery. Yeah, they are. <laughs> They're trading both of them, almost definitely, unless something crazy happens. Montgomery pitches Tuesday, so if if that hamstring doesn't check out, maybe that's the way he doesn't get dealt. But these guys are as good as gone. And John Moselak put out the decree on Monday. Pitching, pitching, pitching is going to be the Cardinals' aim at the deadline. But it's pitching not for 2023. Not to try and make a run at this October, but to set the Cardinals up as good as they possibly can be set up when it goes into the 2024 season. Honestly, going into the offseason ahead of the 2024 campaign, because John Moselak said we're going to have to be signing free agent starters when it comes to this offseason, but I don't think the Cardinals would do well to put it all off until then. They've got to try to find some reinforcements within the next couple of weeks and reorganize their roster to do it. John Moselak knows it. He talked a lot about it. So we're going to play a lot of those clips, like I said, but I'm going to be strategic here. If you're listening to the B-Shape Daily Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, you're going to get a juicy, fat episode tonight. I'm sure it's going to be well over an hour long. I will probably be recording until 3.30 in the morning. But if you're on YouTube, I've got no other choice but to break this down a little bit. So we're going to go right now. What you're hearing right now is is the lead-off to the entire thing. But we're talking Dylan Carlson, and then there will be another separate video on the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer YouTube channel that I dissect all of the John Mozella quotes. I'm basically going to take this giant podcast and split it into two videos because it's the only thing that I know how to do when... The Dylan Carlson thing for listeners of this show is such a huge thing. That deserves to be a video in and of itself. Because after the game tonight, Dylan Carlson spoke. And he spoke when there were TV cameras around. And then the TV cameras left. And then there were a handful of writers, myself included, that remained. And we've got some really good candid thoughts from Dylan Carlson about the way the Cardinals have sort of yanked him around this year. He didn't make excuses. He didn't play the blame game, but he talked about it from his perspective and said, honestly, it hurts the way that he has been handled this year by the team. It seems like a guy that just has no idea. He is at a loss to explain what he's supposed to do. And this is going all the way back into the off season where he came into spring trading, looking to improve against right-handed pitching, accomplished that in grapefruit league play. And then out of the gate wasn't in the mix against right-handed pitching, and he regressed and has now really started to come on strong from both sides of the plate. When you look at the plate discipline he's showing, when you look at the consistency of his efforts since June 9th, really, coming back from the injured list when he had the ankle deal, Dylan Carlson's been playing some pretty good baseball under some very trying circumstances. When you think about how many different guys have basically been given a crack at his job, the job that he demonstrated last season, he could, well, he could perform it pretty capably as the Cardinals center fielder. That was the whole conversation around the trade deadline when Harrison Bader goes to the Yankees, but Dylan Carlson remains, and Juan Soto, that deal doesn't come to fruition. And John Moselak publicly backs Dylan Carlson and said, he's a guy that we want to build around, not using a trade to reorganize the roster. And that's fine. I think it's a good thing the Cardinals did not trade for Soto if the cost was what we expected it to have been, which is you're talking Jordan Walker, you're talking probably Nolan Gorman, 
You're talking probably whatever pitching the Cardinals could have offered up at the time in terms of prospects. And then you're talking Dylan Carlson on top of it all. Like, it would have been exorbitant. You look at what the Nationals have, you just got a glimpse at those players over the weekend. C.J. Abrams starting to come into his own. Mackenzie Gore is a really quality starting pitcher, a prospect that's turned into a young MLB talent that the Cardinals, they didn't have anybody like him to offer. And they've had they've had some younger prospects as well that are still baking in the national system. That was going to be a painful deal if the Cardinals had made it. So I'm not conflating the two things, but from where Dylan Carlson was, and like the treatment from the organization toward Dylan Carlson has been a 180-degree turn over the past 12 months. It's jarring the degree to which the Cardinals, like they haven't thrown him under the bus necessarily, because anytime Ollie Marmel talks about him, is asked about Dylan Carlson, he has good th- good things to say. The Cardinals haven't necessarily thrown Dylan Carlson under the bus and said negative things about him. It's their actions in essentially just not bothering to let him know that, hey, there's a bus coming. You should turn around. They haven't had to throw him there. The bus has hit Dylan Carlson and backed over him and then ran back over him going forward. It's happened a bunch of times this year. And it's the actions of the Cardinals that are doing that, but it's it's so hard to kind of ascertain and wrap my mind around when the words are saying about him, there's no like smoking gun of like Dylan Carlson stinks. This is why he's not playing, you idiot. Like they've never they've never said that. Ollie Marnell has been complimentary. His Cardinal teammates have been complimentary of the job that Dylan has done. But it's like I'm in the twilight zone when it comes to the narrative surrounding this player. And why it's okay to have Tyler O'Neill get to play center field and be bad at it. Have Lars Newtbar not have the instincts in center field of Dylan Carlson. And have Tommy Edmond thrown out there, who, by the way, probably is the second best center fielder defensively on this team. But it's behind Dylan Carlson. And I won't hear slander to the opposite. I'll hear it. I just won't agree with you. Right? It's okay for everybody to have their opinions. But it's just crazy to me. And offensively, I get that Dylan Carlson doesn't have power. I get that he hasn't displayed much power. But, you know, he's 21 points behind Lars Newpar in OPS at this point. It's 726 after the night that Dylan just had. And uh, Newpar's at 747. And Dylan Carlson is the better defensive center fielder than Lars Newpar. He just is. I like Lars Newpar a lot. But you cannot tell me that the slim difference in their productivity this season offensively is so substantial that one needs to be treated as untouchable, can't be moved, can't be considered. And again, I like Lars Newpar, but that's the narrative surrounding Lars Newpar from the Cardinals. And I understand it because he's a good player with upside, and I have continued to say he's above average at basically everything you can do on a baseball field. Lars Newpar can do it. But Dylan Carlson's being hung out to dry. And relative to Newpar, he's not mincemeat. He's not spam in a can. The Cardinals are going to make a colossal mistake is the way I'm anticipating the next couple of weeks to go. Because there is a very good chance that Dylan Carlson is on another team come August 2nd. At this point, I don't know how you deny it. You could look through these tea leaves and try to find a favorable situation here for Carlson. And the way you do that is to say, well, of course, Tyler O'Neill has to come back and play because if they don't play him, they can't trade him. They've got to build up some trade value of Tyler O'Neill before they can unload him. Maybe 
But there's also the alternative reading of that where the Cardinals, they just cannot quit Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill can have two good weeks, and if he does, that doesn't mean he's getting traded. That means he's the guy now, which honestly could work out because Tyler O'Neill has a very tantalizing skill set. The problem is he's never available to use it. And this offseason, this past offseason, the whole entire winter for Tyler O'Neill was designed around improving his durability, being better in that department so that he would be available. He hasn't played since May 4th. I get it. There were different things that went on with his back. It was an unusual circumstance. And he went out and got a second opinion, had a a long road to get back to here. And Tyler O'Neill is the kind of guy you root for. So I am going to really try hard not to denigrate Tyler O'Neill in the context of this conversation. But I do feel more the responsibility to advocate for Dylan Carlson and the fact that this guy, first of all, was a top 20 prospect coming into the 2020 season. Like MLB.com, I went back tonight and looked. He was ranked number 17. I believe he was ranked, it was either one spot ahead or one spot behind. I'll have to go back and check. But I think it was one spot ahead of Julio Rodriguez. Now, that was maybe fault of the rankers because Carlson maybe never had that upside of a Julio Rodriguez to be a power-hitting stud and all these things that, that Rodriguez can still probably become. But Dylan Carlson is a damn good baseball player, and I like I said, I feel like he's being hung out to dry right now. So I have ranted. I have gone with the opinion. I have gone with sort of some context and background information here without ever once even plugging the podcast and the YouTube channel. Hey, guys, if you like Cardinals content, this is only the beginning. Tonight is only the beginning in terms of what we are going to get into over the coming weeks when it comes to this team's trade deadline. Because when I play the John Moselak audio after we wrap up the Dylan conversation, which again, on YouTube, you'll need to go to another video. I'm posting two. You'll have to find them. The set, the, the, the John Moselak one may be like 10 a.m. I post that, give the first one a little time to breathe. I haven't decided what I'm going to do. But when I get finished with this, the Cardinals are then going to be making these moves over the next two weeks. I could say a handful of players are going to get traded, and I don't think that's enough. I got a DM tonight from my buddy Caleb, and he's like, over under five and a half guys get traded from the Cardinals to other teams. And I thought, uh, probably over, because I think all four pitchers, and I'll throw Chris Stratton into this, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Hicks, Chris Stratton, at least three of those guys are getting moved. They have to be moved. They have to be. Unless the Cardinals don't lose a game until the trade deadline, you you have to be exploring every avenue to trade these players because they are free agents to be. And guys, Cardinals fans, I'm telling you, they're not coming back. They are not re-signing. Maybe Jordan Hicks is a different story. I don't really know what his situation is going to be, what his preferences would be. Jordan Montgomery is not a Cardinal next year, period. Jack Flaherty, I would be highly, highly surprised. The comments from John Moselak today coloring that to see Jack Flaherty back next year. But what that means is we're going to have a ton to talk about. So if you like Cardinals content, there are a lot of other places to go, and you should go to those as well, but you've got no reason not to be here too because we are going to get into some really good Cardinals conversation over the coming weeks, breaking down the trades, breaking down the breakneck pace at which the Cardinals are going to try to retool their pitching rotation and their bullpen for 2024. 
because this is a lineup, as they're demonstrating recently, that I think is pretty good. I talked about how it needs to be almost top three in MLB in order to overcome how bad the pitching is. And I don't think they're going to probably land top three. But they're very well going to be a top 10, maybe even a top five offense by the time it's all said and done. They've got like 41 hits over the past three games, and they've won all three of them. And they're finally getting just like standard starting pitching. Good old six innings, three earned runs, quality starts. And they're coming around, but it's too little too late. And it's largely because of the pitching. So bottom line, the Cardinals have a lot of moves to make. We've got a lot of things to talk about here on B-Shafe Daily. Make sure you click that subscribe button on YouTube for the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer YouTube channel. If this isn't the video or series of videos as we talk Dylan Carlson and we talk John Mozalak waving the white flag, that's going to be kind of the title of the other video. If you don't want to subscribe after these two videos, you probably never will. But I feel like this is right up the alley of the Cardinals fans who have been saying for months, this season is over. Let's just see him admit it. And you know what? Today, John Mozalak admitted it. Nolan Arenado was not happy about it. We'll, we'll play some audio from Nolan as well because he basically said, screw that. I don't want to hear about we're looking to next year. I mean, he wasn't inflammatory, but he was on edge. I mean, you know Arenado. He gets after it, and he'll speak his mind, and he basically wanted nothing to do with any question about how they don't still have something to play for in 2023. So I'm going to play the Arenado stuff on the next video. When it comes to YouTube, Spotify listeners, just buckle up because this podcast will go over an hour and you'll get all of it right here. But just want to throw that out there. Subscribe on YouTube. Check out Be Shafe Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well if you'd prefer to uh, take in the show and the content via that form. And if you want to support me, the way to do it is patreon.com slash bshafer12. It's to do everything we've talked about. Subscribe on all the places you can. Rate and review that good stuff. But uh, Patreon is out there as well. Patreon.com slash for 12 More content will come to the Patreon here this week, but it's not going to be Tuesday because we've just got a, we've got a cram sesh with everything that we need to get out because, I mean, multiple major stories happened on Monday. So let's start with Dylan Carlson. I said we would. I'm just going to jump right into the audio right now because you're probably not hearing this anywhere else given that it was just a handful of writers talking to Dylan Carlson after the cameras had left. You're going to hear Dylan Carlson's thoughts. You should read the stories. I wrote a lengthy one for KMOV with a lot of context in there that you got to check out. Others will be writing stories about it as well. But I want you to be able to hear from Dylan Carlson because, to me, he had the 1,000-yard stare. I'm not saying he was about to cry. I'm not saying he was even emotional. But he was a man that, to me, after helping the Cardinals win a game, he looked defeated at his locker talking about just almost with exasperation what has gone on for him this season and how, man, for whatever reason, it hasn't gone his way. It's a phrase he used, but he used some others. So I'll, I'll go ahead and play the audio for you now. But let's start with a quick clip that we have from Mosellock actually describing the situation when he was asked about Tyler O'Neill and his role coming back whenever that should be, which honestly, it sounds like it's going to be Tuesday. But whenever that should take place, what's Tyler O'Neill's role? This is the kind of the catalyst for everything that we're going to be talking about. So we'll play that, and then we'll let you hear from Dylan Carlson from Monday night. Here's Mosellock, though, on Tyler O'Neill. Uh, he will likely be our everyday left fielder. In other words, 
that would be the plan to have him out there every day. And then always the trickle down of that you've had guys in and out of the age, and then how you want to do Jordan the age, but then Brendan couldn't throw. Right. So, like to answer O'Neill, I can. To answer the other, I can't, because it's going to depend on when others can come back, when they can throw. Um, but you know, trying to get. Walker playing time, obviously Newt playing time, of course, trying to figure out what to do with Dylan. I mean, these are similar challenges we faced in late April. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously Tyler's worked himself back to get here, and so we're going to give him that opportunity. So it may not sound all that inflammatory at the expense of Dylan Carlson, but when you think about what's said there, do some math. Tyler O'Neill will be the left fielder. We're trying to get playing time for Newt Bard Walker. And of course, we got to figure out what to do with Dylan. That about says it all, doesn't it? And then he reiterates by kind of going into, well, it's similar to what we faced in late April. Well, what happened back in April was that Dylan Carlson didn't play a lot against right-handed pitching. Played against lefties, but he was a platoon guy. And now you get Tyler O'Neill some run to try and find him everyday opportunity. Jordan Walker has established himself more established even than he was at the time because he was about on his way out to Memphis in late April. I don't remember the exact date that that took place, but the squeeze for Dylan Carlson is on. Despite two for four with three runs scored and a walk and an RBI on Monday night and a great catch on Luis Arias to begin the game, Miles Michaelis raved about the catch and the ability by Dylan Carlson to play center field. None of it matters. Because, again, it seems like he's boxed out. And so he knows it. And we talked to him about it on Monday night after the game. Here's Dylan Carlson. You've been waiting for this, so I'll give it to you. A few minutes of the conversation that took place with Dylan Carlson in front of his locker after the game. A game that the Cardinals won over the Miami Marlins, by the way, 6-4, to four, largely due to the contributions of Dylan Carlson. And he's asked here to begin this little portion of the audio that we'll play about whether he's gone through this before and the uncertainty surrounding maybe the playing time and also the notion of the trade deadline creeping up. And Dylan Carlson brings us back to about 12 months ago when, yeah, he went through this before and it was very obvious and open that the Cardinals were not considering trading him to the extent that, if you recall, John Mozeliak pulled him aside and told him, hey, you're not going anywhere. Don't worry about it. Keep your head up and, and go play baseball for us. We believe in you. That's the little pep talk that he got from Mo last year. This year, well, you'll hear in this clip from Dylan uh, exactly where things stand now. Without further ado, though, because I've been uh, delaying it long enough, here's Dylan Carlson from after Monday night's game. I mean, you know, there was a lot of stuff last year. Uh, you know, we obviously didn't, uh, you know, include me in a deal. And, you know, that, that was a, you know, big thing with the fans and stuff. But, um, you know, for me, I, I try to keep my focus here in this clubhouse. I'd be lying if I say, you know, you don't hear that stuff. But, um, you know, it, the best thing for me is keeping my focus in here and, uh, you know, being ready to play whenever my time's called upon. Last year you got the call saying you wouldn't be included in it. Do, mm -hmm. do you have those kind of conversations with Mo again? Or? Uh, there haven't been, there hasn't been much dialogue, um, truthfully. But, um, I mean, obviously, you know, with where we're at, we, we've got to, you know, start playing well and do some things to get back into it. So, you know, it's just the nature of the game, ultimately. That's the first time I'll pause the audio real quick to kind of interact with it. Not much dialogue is what Carlson says about 
whether or not Mo has told him something similar this year about, hey, you're not going to be involved in deals. Don't worry about it. Not much dialogue. Radio silence. The silence is deafening. I think it's that way for a reason, folks. You can read these tea leaves. I think there is a better than equal chance that Dylan Carlson is traded. And I'm getting to where I think it might be the best damn thing for him. Because, again, we'll kind of dive into it a little bit, release some of the tension here after uh, finishing up with this Dylan audio. But you think about the number of guys that have had a crack at center field above him this year. And you look at his numbers, and they are, I mean, he's got a higher OPS than Tommy Edmond, 100 points higher than Tyler O'Neill. 21 points below Lars Nupar, and to me is a more complete defensive player than all of them. And so if I'm Dylan Carlson, man, I'm looking around going, what do I got to do to get some of the same favor that my teammates have been afforded? But Dylan Carlson doesn't make any excuses here. He really doesn't. He really, I mean, he's honest. He's candid about the way it made him feel. You'll hear, you'll hear it all. But the fact that he still lifts his teammates up and still has positive things to say, and doesn't really, you know, expresses the frustrations. He vents a little bit, but he, but he's not making an excuse. He just says, "Look, I gotta, gotta be ready for my opportunity." So, I'll stop talking about what he says and let you hear what he says. Here's Dylan. More of Dylan Carlson after Monday's game, which actually isn't Dylan because it's a clip that begins with a question asked by me. So here you go. More of me. Dylan, knowing kind of that performance with a crowded outfield would dictate a lot of the way opportunities are divvied up. How how do you evaluate your performance? This season, maybe some of the strides you've made compared to where you were last year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. It's uh, it's definitely been inconsistent. Um, you know, I mean, felt really good coming out of spring. Didn't get an opportunity uh, against righties. So, uh, you know, that kind of stung and just tried to do my best. Then all of a sudden was sprung into playing every day again. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been tough. But, you know, as a competitor and someone who wants to be out there, you know, I can't complain when I'm given the opportunity. Uh, just got to be ready and run with it. Um, but... Ultimately, you know, I, I feel like I'm competing, doing the best I can, and just as prepared as possible. So from that standpoint, I feel confident, and, you know, I feel like I'm ready to go. But can confidence, too, come from kind of that backing that you've mentioned you've had at times in your career right. of knowing, like, here's my expectation, here's what the role is going to be, and right. I can kind of take that and own it. Right. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's no secret that when you have a more clear role and, you know, more consistent role, guys are going to probably perform a little better. But, um you know, it just has been the case for me. Um, so, you know, I just, I just got to stay ready and do what I can to help this team ultimately. Yes, tough question to ask. Uh, tricky. You've only played for one organization, but you're a guy who wants to play every day. How do you handle that? How do you balance that? Of obviously, you know, you you want to play every day, be in the lineup every day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely tough. I mean, you know, I feel like I can really help this team, but. Um, like I said, um, you know, opportunities have been scattered, and you know, um, it hurts honestly. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you know, I I just try to do what I can to be ready for these guys, and ultimately, uh, you know, try to help us win as many games as possible. That's always been my goal ever since I got to the big leagues, is to help this team win as many games as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I always felt like my production and performance would come from that focus and being in that mindset. Mm -hmm. And you know, obviously, with it being more limited and. Um, sporadic I guess it, it makes it a little harder but yeah. but yeah I mean I, I want to be an everyday player I'm a competitor and I'm someone who wants to be out there um, you know I feel like I can do a lot of things so um, yeah just an opportunity is there to do what I can when you 
you didn't get the opportunities early in the season, but then when you did, you produced. How much pride do you take in that of, of being ready and showing that you were ready? Yeah, um, you know, I take a lot of pride in it. Um, it's real hungry. Um, tried to make the most of it, and I had an unfortunate ankle injury that, uh, you know, really you can't control. So, um, ultimately, and just... Said to right, right, yeah, <laughs> luckily we made it down there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, but, um, you know, we got a lot of great guys in this clubhouse who... Um, you know, do a lot of great things and are great people, so it makes it a little easier. There's Dylan Carlson from after Monday's Cardinals win, 6-4 over the Miami Marlins. Carlson scored three runs, had a base hit from both sides of the plate, drew a walk, advanced first to third at least once. I think he did it twice. Great base running, great defensive play in center field. He had a very complete game. And, man, is that just stepping up to the plate. After what had happened in the afternoon – because I don't know when the conversations would have happened with Dylan. Like, clearly the Cardinals, whether it was Marmel, Moselak, both, would have had to have had some discussions with him in recent days about how this is going to look. And honestly, putting him in the leadoff spot was like, here you go, Dylan. It's like your make-a-wish. This is your chance to to be a real center fielder, even though we're just about to take it away from you here in a minute. But you enjoy it for today. But we just told you what the plan's going to be when Tyler comes back. And Dylan doesn't put down his teammates, doesn't say a negative word. Dude's a consummate teammate. He has been put through the ringer this year. Is he like the greatest hitter in the world? No. He's got a 726 OPS, all right? We can get real about what that is. But my thing is, is kind of like I said, advocating for this guy, it's as though those kind of criticisms can only come to him. When it's Lars Nupar, it's there is no criticism. 747 OPS, that's good enough. And it's fine. 726 is fine too, though. Drawing more walks than games played over the last two weeks is good too. Having a 842 OPS since he returned from the injured list on June 9th is pretty good. It was 814 before today. I did some rudimentary calculations. I think it's up to like 842. Dylan Carlson's OPS since the 9th of June. And don't give me the short sample size on the, the defensive metrics. I flat out don't believe him. I'm using my eyeballs to know that Dylan Carlson is the best defensive center fielder this team has. If that makes me an absolute square, I don't care. Watch the games. Dylan Carlson has instincts when it comes to playing center field. He's not the best athlete. He's not going to be the fastest foot speed guy. And that I think that's what it boiled down to with the Tyler O'Neill stuff. They thought we could construct a center fielder out of the raw materials that Tyler O'Neill possesses, they were wrong. And it took them a while to realize it. But then after they did, it was like, well, well, now Lars Newpar's back from the injured list, so he can play some center. And now, well, Tommy Edmond, let's put him in there because, I don't know, I guess it's, it's his chance instead of Dylan. And so it feels like I have to be like over the top of the way I present Dylan Carlson the way I talk about him you guys are like okay dude he's not an all-star all right let's cool it and I get that but I think fair is fair when it comes to like no guy should have special treatment they should be judged on the merits right and I feel like the merits of Dylan Carlson are maybe like 85 percent 90 percent Lars Nupar who I really like by the way like again I like Lars Nupar I think the Cardinals should keep him I think he should be in that outfield for the next 10 years but if Dylan Carlson is like 90% Lars Nupar, why is he being treated like 
40% Lars Newbar. You know what I mean? If Dylan Carlson is 120% Tyler O'Neill, why is Tyler O'Neill being bestowed the opportunity again? I mean, they put it for him on a platter at the beginning of the season, Tyler O'Neill. And within five games, he was getting chewed out by the manager for not hustling. Again, it doesn't really matter what your take on that whole thing was. I'm also not trying to be anti-Tyler O'Neill here, but I can give you the numbers and I can say, all right, if there's going to be one guy versus another that maybe has to strive a little extra for an opportunity here in late July, I would think that Dylan Carlson's the guy that's earned one. What chapped my khakis when it came to the Carlson stuff, and again, I was not at Bush. I've only been able to hear the audio, read some of the stuff that's been said, I don't have perfect context, and I, I'll tell you when my limitations are my limitations so you guys are not misled by everything going on. I'll tell you what I know. I'll tell you what I don't know. I'll be honest about that. But John Denton had a tweet discussing what all the reporters at Bush Stadium had discussed when it comes to Tyler O'Neill getting the, getting the nod and Dylan Carlson basically being on the outside. This is a tweet from John Denton. said, Manager Ali Marmol said the starting outfield going forward until the deadline at least, would be O'Neill, Lars, Newport in center, and Jordan Walker in right. Ollie, quote, at the end of the day, everyone's gotten an opportunity and we can feel comfortable about that. End quote. That's BS, man. I and, and I don't have the context for that whole quote, right? So I'm not trying to rip Ollie. But at the end of the day, everyone's gotten an opportunity and we can feel comfortable about that? I... Dylan Carlson has only gotten an opportunity as a last resort. Every guy who had a chance to play center field ahead of him was either injured or needed elsewhere. And then they found Tommy Edmond to be the next guy to do it. So you've, you've now grabbed a starting shortstop, but that's a whole other thing because he got yanked around by DeYoung coming back. And supposedly DeYoung was going to be the utility guy, but then that was a JK. We didn't mean it. Tommy, it's you. Which, again, Tommy has more versatility than DeYoung, so I get it. It's just it, it kind of is used against these guys who have that versatility. But when it comes to Dylan Carlson, man, they found every opportunity to give chances to other players. And I feel like they're like not – they've got it ingrained in their minds what Dylan Carlson is because you could look early on in the season. Like, I can go through the game logs. His OPS earlier in the campaign wasn't good. He started off hot, but then almost immediately kind of faltered, fell off the uh, the map a little bit there. Yeah, from the very beginning, he had a three for four game two of the season. Didn't get to start on opening day, but game two, they beat the Blue Jays. Or was that game two or game three? Game three. Yeah, game three, his first start of the year, he goes three for four. Had a great OPS, but then it, it fell into like the 400s. He was 500, 600s for the longest time. And then was kind of starting to find it a little bit when it got to the uh, the month of May. Like he had, I don't know, looking at this real quick, about a dozen, 13, 14 games played in May. Had a base hit in like nine or 10 of them. Never had a multi-hit game, but he was scoring runs, getting, getting hits, getting on base, driving in runs. The numbers were starting to come up a little bit, but then he got injured. And it was about a month, not quite a month, but May 14th to June 9th before he got back in there. And then from there, I mean, the OPS went from 629 to 726. So nearly a 100-point 
gain in five and a half weeks or so for Dylan Carlson. He's been playing better, and I feel like they have ingrained in their mind what he was at the beginning of the year, what he was last year, and are ignoring reality when it comes to making these long-term plans. Like, Ollie Marmel had great things to say about Dylan Carlson after the game, but, like, the long-term plans have not been impacted at all by it. They still look at Dylan Carlson, they put him in this box, and they say, here's what he is, and that's fine. Trade him to the Yankees, see what happens. Do it. I, I think it would be fascinating to see it unfold. Because I saw tonight a Dylan Carlson who was given a chance to bat leadoff, even knowing all of this was happening in the periphery. He's the leadoff dude, and he took ownership of that role. He took ownership of the center field role. Hashtag everyday Dylan is a thing for a reason. It's because when you give guys opportunities, you heard Carlson say it. Yeah, a lot of times when guys know their role and it's going to be consistent, they'll tend to play better. But he said, what? Well, that just hasn't been the case for me. And he kind of laughed. Knowing that there's... Probably nothing he can do about it. He can't change their mind if they've already made up their mind about him. And if they've done that, and they really think that of the two outfielders, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, the one to keep on the roster for next year and and try to build around is O'Neill, that's fine. See what happens. Trade him. Trade Dylan Carlson and see what happens. See what he does. I hope he goes to a contender. I hope he gets to play every day. Like, That's what's so tricky about this. It very well may be the best thing for Dylan Carlson's career to be moved. And, yeah, he should have some trade value because he's got several years of team control remaining. He's versatile. He can play all the outfield spots. He's a good on-base guy. He's a switch hitter. He needs to demonstrate some more power to really reach the, I think, the pinnacle of what people thought he could be when he first came up in 2020. But even without adding that next level to his power, which I I still believe is something that would just come with consistent playing time. If you bestowed upon him the same level of trust that you did to Tyler O'Neill to begin the season, which I'm not going to say Tyler O'Neill did not earn that. He didn't really earn it in spring, but he was at the World Baseball Classic, so they didn't get a full look at him. And they knew 2021 happened, and they knew his 2022 was full of injuries, and so he earned it by demonstrating for a full season like what it could look like to have Tyler O'Neill, And so that upside is higher than Dylan Carlson's. But man, the floor, I'm taking Carlson's floor every time. What do other teams think? Well, if you're going to trade an outfielder because you do need to get pitching, I think the better pitcher you're going to get for Dylan Carlson than Tyler O'Neill. So I'm not saying definitively that five years, 10 years from now, we'll look back on it and say, oh yeah, they they clearly should have made this decision or that. We'll know then, but we I don't know that we know now. Because for as much as the recency bias would tell you that Tyler O'Neill is, you know, complete stay away, don't trust him to do anything, don't put him in your lineup, whatever, the raw ability has not departed Tyler O'Neill. He could easily play 10 times over the next two weeks and hit six home runs and just be an absolute fiend. He's got great speed. Like, he's got the full package other than being able to put it together consistently with health. So I am not trying to bemoan Tyler O'Neill. We could be singing a completely different tune in a couple of weeks. I just had to come on here and say maybe for the last time, I'm pulling my hair out over this Dylan Carlson thing. I don't understand it. It's crazy to me the the direction that it's gone over the last 12 months after they were so much in his corner. Now he says, well, there's not really any dialogue about where I stand with this team. They trade me? Hell, I don't know. Ask him. 
I have no idea. They don't tell me anything. The communication from the Cardinals this year in a lot of different fronts has been poor. We've talked about that plenty of times. But I feel like John Mozeliak needs to have a conversation with Dylan Carlson. He says there's not been dialogue. So that tells me that Mo has put it all on Ollie Marmol to like say, hey, here's the, the deal. Sorry, kid. But you're back to a platoon role, defensive replacement role at best. Which, by the way, I don't know what that means, everyday outfielder, O'Neal, Newbar, Walker, because you got to find a way to get Dylan Carlson's bat in the lineup against lefties. He's he's too good against lefties. He's got like an 850 OPS against lefties this year. He was basically the same thing last year. You got to keep him in there for those situations. It might mean having to figure it out with the DH. It might mean Brendan Donovan goes on the injured list because it's going to be another week or so before he can throw. And they didn't put him in the lineup today. So what that tells me is they'll be able to backdate it to Sunday if they decide to go that route with Donovan. Just give him a week. He'll basically just have to miss a week of games plus like one or two. And then he'll be ready right around the the correct timing of getting him back out there on the field. And then you don't have to reserve a DH spot for him. Because, of course, you've got to reserve the DH spot for Wilson Contreras because he can't catch, evidently. Or he can't catch to the level of Yvonne Herrera, who's done a nice job. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy the number of moves that are kind of causing other log jams and other issues for this roster. But I think Dylan Carlson is uh, getting the short end of the stick on a lot of it, despite the fact that he's versatile. He can he can play any outfield position. He just doesn't have the stat cast power that you're looking for. And so they're happy to kind of ignore it and put him on the back burner. We'll see what happens with the trade. I Could they be showcasing O'Neal? It's absolutely possible. But if Tyler O'Neill does hit those six home runs in 10 games, I have a hard time believing the Cardinals are going to go, see, now we can capitalize and trade him. No, I think they're just going to play him at that point. If you ask me the percent chance that Dylan Carlson is a Cardinal on August 2nd, I'm going to say 30% that he's still here, which means a 70% chance that he's not. I think he's one of the most likely guys on the roster to be traded through really no fault of his own. And whether or not that pans out or not for the Cardinals long-term is going to be fascinating to watch. Because if you trade him for a triple A AAA pitcher that's on the cusp of a rotation and you plan on having that guy in your rotation in 2024, or hell, by the end of July, you probably would have that guy in your rotation because Montgomery and Flaherty are going to be gone and you're going to need arms, you're going to need innings. So if they trade for kind of an unproven guy, but a guy that's considered to have upside, Mo talked a lot today about, yeah, we need more swing and miss. We're looking for that kind of stuff in, in the pitching that we're looking to go out and get. Our model of playing for the infield defense to be elite and pitch to contact has not panned out, so we have to adjust more rapidly to the changing game. Let's get some strikeout guys in here. If they trade Dylan Carlson for a strikeout guy that gets hurt within six months or whatever, I mean, it's also predictable. It could go the other way. They could trade him for somebody that they desperately need and the guy could fill a great role in the rotation. I don't know off the top of my head who that's going to be. But like I said, I am better than equal chance that Dylan Carlson is traded because that is the only logical conclusion I can draw at this point with the way that he has been handled by the team this year. So we'll see what that does. I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to track it, though. It's going to be fascinating to look into it and see the way that it unfolds over time. 
But Cardinals fans, I want to hear from you. Let me know in the YouTube comments section, what do you make of the Dylan Carlson stuff? What would you make of his comments specifically? And talking about the way that, yeah, it's hurt to see the sporadic opportunity and maybe not totally always know exactly where he stands. What do you think of those comments? Let me know on YouTube. Do you think Dylan Carlson is a Cardinal for longer than the next two weeks? A lot of interesting thoughts potentially to be had there from Cardinals fans, so I want to hear from you. YouTube.com slash at bshafer12. Make sure you subscribe, leave a like, and uh, leave your comments as it pertains to this Dylan Carlson situation. Let's go ahead, though, and get into John Mozeliak's comments from Monday afternoon. The way we're going to do this is basically chronological order because I've got these clipped out, and I'll play a clip and react to it because there's a lot to get to from Mo this afternoon. The moral of the story, though, the Cardinals are waving the white flag on the 2023 season. We kind of figured that was the case already because of what he had said to Martin Kilcoin the other day. But I think we got a lot more detail from John Mozeliak in this session. So let's go ahead and hop into it with the first Mo quote, which is clipped off from him kind of kicking off the entire media session, talking about what the Cardinals' plans are for the rest of this season, and especially as they approach the trade deadline. You know, as we start looking at this, we, we know the season hasn't gone as planned. Um, certainly going to look at, at how we can take some of the players we have on this team and turn it into uh, future talent. And, you know, as we try to explore that, um, can take many different turns. But obviously um, my staff's going to be very busy in the next few weeks trying to uh, find ways to improve this team as we look to, uh, to the future. So that was John Mozeliak talking about they're looking to take the players on this team the ones that are maybe short-term assets and turn them into assets for the future. That's kind of the thesis statement, if you will, of the entire session with John Mozeliak. The Cardinals waving the white flag on 2023 in the way that they approach the trade deadline. And is there a possibility that a winning streak could change their trajectory and their plans at the deadline? Well, Frank Cusimano thought to ask that question to John Mozeliak. So here's that clip. If, in case you were wondering that, which I think it's a fair question to ask for a team that has now won six out of their last eight games. Mo, well, does what happened in the next two weeks have anything to do on what you actually do at the deadline? Um, in terms of like how we play, you mean? Yes. Does performance, wins, losses change our, our direction? I would say probably not at this point. Um, you know, I think where we are and, and, and where we are in the standings, it's going to make it very difficult to change that. Um, it's not to say that if we, you know, won eight straight, you, you know, you might take a pause in how you think about something. But um, I would say from our standpoint on how we're thinking about using our energy and time right now, it, it won't change. So John Mozeliak is basically taking the possibility out of the equation that the Cardinals could play their way back into relevance in this division. And I want to spend a little time unpacking that because that's not something that probably sits well with Nolan Arenado. Now, it's not to say that he has not been briefed on this and that he and Paul Goldschmidt were not in conversations. Arenado said tonight that, yeah, he's talked to Mosellock and they have casual conversations, regular contact all the time. And so I'm not thinking that this was something that took Nolan Arenado by surprise. Although I will say with the way that John Denton phrased the first question about it to Arenado, he said, yeah, Mo kind of told everybody that he this afternoon that he's, you know, kind of waving the white flag. 
Arnaldo kind of raised his eyebrows a little bit at that phrasing because you know that this is a guy that absolutely does not want to be any part of waving a white flag. He's still got a lot to play for, always. So I'll play some Nolan Arenado in the midst of this because we're just kind of kicking this off and setting the scene. We still have to talk, by the way, about Genesis Cabrera, the fact that he's like not on this team anymore. He was on Instagram Live tonight, throwing, had his Cardinals, clearly Cardinals branded gear turned inside out. The tags were showing on the outside. Complaining about whatever he was complaining about with the Cardinals. I don't speak Spanish, so I don't really know. But that was kind of funny going on during the Cardinal game. Anyway, let's get you some Nolan Arenado in your life, huh? You hear nope. that Mo says pretty much kind of waving the white flag on this season and building for 24. How does that sit with a competitor like yourself? Um, I try not to pay attention to it uh, too much. You know, I just try to go out and compete every day. Um, still playing for something. I know I am. So, uh, you know, it's I don't know if it's a sense of pride or what it is, but I'm playing for something. You feel like you guys need to try and, like, you know, show what you can do? Like, is that part of the motivation going down the stretch here? I mean, just what, I guess there's a group do you feel like you guys want to accomplish, even if it's not necessarily, you know, making a full run or, you know, for a playoff or something? I mean, the goal is to win. I mean, that's not going to change. So we're trying to go out there and win ball games. And, uh, you know, I don't look at the standings anymore. I'm so I'm past that now. But, uh, you know, just go out and try to win ball games. Uh, if you're a young player, you're always playing for something. You know, you make some money in this game. And, solidify yourself as a baseball player on this team and a job for next I mean there's a bunch of things to play for and I'm playing for I don't know <laughs> I'm finding reasons to play you know I'm representing family and a bunch of things so just trying to play my best. Nolan is there also a case of you guys stacking up of those days in a row that are W's that there maybe comes a point where you start looking at the standings again and that's still maybe on the back yeah maybe I mean not not for a while but sure. uh maybe um like I said our, go out there and compete there's no reason why our mindset should change from not trying to win. Is there an element of also trying to sort of build some momentum towards maybe next season too, just because, you know, you guys have a group here that, you know, you know it doesn't sound like the whole core is going to change. It sounds like, you know, especially the lineup, you know, is looking to go forward. With it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think about next year. I think that's a terrible strategy. Uh, I ain't got time for thinking about next year. I got to think about now and what I need to get done and try to help this team win. But... There's no guarantees next year is going to be a great year either. So, uh, and there's no guarantees I'm going to be healthy next year either. So I think about now going out and competing. Nolan Mo said that he spoke to you and they kind of talked about where things are in this season and, and maybe even give you a glimpse of what his view of how to make things better. Are you in a good spot after that conversation? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, we, you know, I probably won't get into detail what we talked about, but, yeah. you know, you know, we talk, you know, I talk to him all the time. I mean, he's walking through here all the time, you know what I mean? So, yeah, you know, just casual conversations. And, uh, you know, I think the season hasn't turned out the way any of us thought it was going to turn out. But, yeah, we just have normal conversations. Is, is it a good thing that he's not hiding from the standings in a way? Like, uh, that they're not, not well, excusing them The one away. thing I appreciate about Mo, um, for sure, he's just, you know, he's shooting straight. Um, he's honest. And uh, that's all you can ask for is honesty and uh I appreciate that about him. So I have a great relationship with him. So, you know, he, he's just—he's honest, and yeah. uh, I appreciate that. I mean, so you I don't get really... the sense it bothers him. Where the, where yeah. The, oh, yeah. I mean, it bothers okay. everybody here. Yeah. You know, nobody's happy about what's going on, but for sure, I, I, yeah, I know. He's like I said, he's honest, and I know he's not happy about it. When you're in the prime of your career, you talk about you know not wanting to give up on this season yet. Like you don't want to give up 
games in your prime, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to further those away, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know, like I said, the standings I don't look at anymore, but I'm just trying to go out, compete, set an example, um, regardless if we're in a good spot or not. There's still young guys here that need to understand that you got to play through things and you got to try to find ways to win and find ways to motivate yourself when things aren't going right. So that's all I'm trying to do. So there's Nolan Arenado talking about the various motivations, the various reasons that he isn't looking at the standings right now, but still finds plenty to play for. And you could tell in the tone of his voice, he doesn't really enjoy that this Cardinals team is going through what it's going through. And he doesn't want to think about 2024 because 2024 is not a given for him or for anybody to say that you can guarantee a guy's going to be healthy. You're going to be part of a season next year. That's going to be this great thing when you're in the middle of the 2023 campaign. And so Arenado trying to stay present, trying to keep right where it is. But from a business perspective, he does seem to understand and says he's still got a good relationship with Mo. So you don't have to bark up those trees. Like the people who say, oh, Mo lied to Arenado about what it would be and and he wishes he hadn't opted in or whatever. Like that's not, you know, I, I just don't think that's reality, especially the part that he lied to him. Like like this was not a bait and switch that John Mozeliak pulled on Arenado specifically just to get him here and then have the team suck. Like, I don't think Cardinals fans stop to think sometimes when they try to connect those dots that aren't really there. Look, John Mozeliak thought they had enough this year, and he was wrong about that, and he's having to do the apology tour right now, and rightfully so. I mean, he's the one that thought they had the depth when it came to pitching, and they didn't. But I don't think it's this sort of bait-and-switch that he pulled on Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldsman or anybody else. But that's how Arenado feels. It's not surprising to hear him say those things, and to hear the passion behind the words, I think, is uh, is noteworthy. But let's jump back into John Mozeliak because that's kind of what we want to spend most of the time on. But because we were talking about it specifically, I thought we would let you hear from Arenado as well. But back to Mozeliak, again, the Cardinals are going to be in sell mode. They have essentially waved the white flag. Like when Mozeliak says, yeah, well, an eight-game winning streak, maybe we think about taking a pause. Which, by the way, they've now won three in a row. So if I have to go, perhaps maybe all of this is a moot point. But it really does seem like the Cardinals are set in stone of the way he says, well, we're spending our energy on sell mode stuff. And sell mode, again, it means trading the guys like Montgomery, Flaherty, Hicks. I think starting from there, figuring out maybe how to thin the glut of position players that you have at certain positions and how you want to handle that if you can do so toward an end of adding pitching. Pitching, pitching, pitching is the quote that... Hopefully we'll have time to throw in here from John Mozeliak. But here's an angle from Frank Cusimano that you might be thinking about when it comes to, well, why wouldn't they just re-sign these pitchers, right? Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, two of their better starters this year. They're a bad starting rotation, but it's not because of these two. How do you suddenly expect to get better in 2024 if you get rid of these two guys? Can you just re-sign them? Frank Cusimano decided to ask that question, and here was the thought from John Mozeliak. Is there a chance in the next couple of weeks your free agency, your free agents to be, you'll negotiate with them to try to lock them up? You know, I don't want to speculate on that. Um, obviously, it's not a long list to figure out who we'd be talking to and whatnot. But, you, you know, I think for our standpoint right now, it's going to be how we can improve and get more talented in the future. So that pretty much sells it, right? Like the Cardinals are not looking to bring these pitchers back. If you needed to hear that from Mo, now you have. They're talking about the future. It's not realistic anyway, especially in the case of Montgomery. I don't think for Flaherty either this far down the road. But for Montgomery, like, 
he seemed perturbed that the Cardinals didn't bother to ask him before the season and said, hey, once they didn't do that, that's that. We're not going to deal with this during the year. The dude is gone. The dude is as good as gone. It's not to say he doesn't like his teammates. It's not to say he hates St. Louis, any of that. But the Scott Boris client is going to take the bag of money when it is offered to him in the offseason. And I don't even think the Cardinals are going to be willing to extend to a level on Jordan Montgomery that that it ultimately would, would take to get him. Like, Montgomery's going to make some more money from somebody else besides the Cardinals. Whatever that contract ends up being, provided he, like, finishes the year healthy and doesn't have an issue on that front, I don't anticipate the Cardinals would match the offer that Montgomery ultimately will receive from somebody as a Boris client. He's just not the type of setup that the Cardinals are able to finagle as a starting pitching free agent contract. Steven Matz, that's the world they live in. That's not working. They're very hopeful that Steven Matz can finish the season strong, but that four-year, $44 million, yeah, they're going to have to figure out a way to raise from that but I'm telling you, whatever Montgomery's going to make, like he could make $100 million. He's in his late 20s. How old is Jordan Montgomery? I'll Google it. I'll Google it here without even doing anything. He's 30 years old. He could probably get a four to five year contract. I think he's worth $20 million a year with the way that he's performing. $80 million, $100 million contract. I don't think it's completely out of the question, depending how many years he gets. So I just don't think the Cardinals would be in on that anyway. You can say that they should be. Totally fair, but for practical purposes, this guy's gone. And Jack Flaherty, I think, is is right behind him. Flaherty's at least got the the built-up relationship with the Cardinals because of having been here for so many years, but after a year like this, man, I don't think he's going to be clamoring to try and re-sign. And there, there never was going to be a team-friendly deal, right? So I think, again, and later in the conversation Mosellock basically said I alluded to the reference of the three starters the spots that they have available he kind of caught himself and was like well okay I get it we don't have those spots yet but everybody could see the writing on the wall for what's coming here all right let's cut to John Mosellock being asked about what types of players the Cardinals are going to be targeting at the deadline we know it's pitching we'll hear more about that but in terms of timeline when do these players need to be ready to contribute in order for the Cardinals to be considering them as attractive in terms of return on the trades that they'll end up making? Well, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, you know, we're not looking just for s- simply like a ball depth. Um, you know, if we can find talent that we think can help um, emerge in 2024, that would be great. 2025, I wouldn't rule that out either, but 2026 seems a long way away. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes complete sense, and it goes in line with the notion of this team is not looking to trade Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. Those guys are guys that we expect to see still be in Cardinals uniforms, and in fact, John Mosellock was asked about that as well, so we can give you the direct quote from him on the topic. He didn't say guaranteed untouchable because he never really likes to do that, but you can tell with the tenor of the conversation that Goldschmidt, Arenado, those are guys the Cardinals are going to be building around for 2024 not guys that they want to trade away because the rebuild is going to take longer than a year or two. Like this rebuild is going to take six months, right? That's the plan to go into spring training next year and to be competitive. That's what you're going to hear John Mosella continue to describe. So you would expect this club to be competitive again in 24. That's the hope. Um, Obviously, you know, 
a lot has to happen for that, and, and clearly that's not going to be solely defined as what happens in the next two weeks. Um, it'll clearly be like how active we can be in the free agent market this offseason as well as um, potentially what types of deals we might be able to do that as well. So this is kind of the beginning step toward fixing the roster for 2024, and it is largely the pitching staff rotation and bullpen that I think that's going to pertain to. Any trades involving position players, I, I don't think it's going to be to add a position player that they don't have. They've got a number of outfielders. They've got a number of middle infielders. They've got Arenado and Goldschmidt at the corners. They've got three catchers, and that's going to be a conversation that has to take place as well. I think we'll have some clips that may get into that topic coming up here still on B-Shape Daily. By the way, let me know what you're thinking about everything here in the YouTube comments. Chime in when you hear something interesting from Mo, when you hear something interesting from me. What strikes you about the tenor of the way this day went for the Cardinals and the fact that it seems that they are absolutely in sell mode, not going to be convinced otherwise by the results on the field and how that impacts a guy like Nolan Arenado who says the results on the day-to-day basis are the only thing that matters because that's what we do. Certainly a fascinating dichotomy going on, but I wanted to play this aspect of Mosellock's quotes because he was asked about Goldsmith Arenado, how they feel about everything. You already kind of heard how Arenado feels about it, but this was specific to trying to get some insight from Mosellock on those guys. Um, I think they understand where we are too right now. Um, and it's not like a quick fix. It's not like we can go out and just trade for someone that's going to change our trajectory at this point. But I think when you look at our everyday club, it's an exciting team to still have in place. And so, you know, can we augment enough pitching this offseason to to change the outcome of what we saw this year? And that'll be our goal. Pitching is indeed what the Cardinals need. And John Mozalak was not shy about declaring specifically that that's what they'll be looking for coming up on this trade deadline and beyond. Well, I definitely think we're going to treat the trading deadline as pitching, 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 right? Now, that's not to say we're going to ignore a position player that you know may be like just uber great and mm-hmm. so we have to be you know cognizant of that but I think the goal would be to address as much pitching as possible and so the next natural question would be how the Cardinals figure out how to come by this pitching do you have to physically buy the pitching free agency is going to be an aspect of this basically the way I look at it is whatever the Cardinals cannot address via trade over the next couple of weeks it's probably going to come down to free agency now, they could also make trades in the offseason, as Mosellic has said, but the circumstances will be completely different at that point, and so we won't exactly know the way that they're going to approach it then. But Derek Gould asked a good question here about whether or not the payroll flexibility is such that the Cardinals will be able to add the pitching that they need via free agency, kind of fill the gaps of whatever remains when they get to the winter without maybe making some trades to move some salary that already exists on the roster. Do you need to make any deals in my not really. Mm-mm. I mean, we have a lot coming off the books. So um, I think for, you know, free agents, when you think about that, I think we'll have dollars. It's, I mean, it's hard to think of, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's hard to think of filling out a rotation without an addition to be a free agent. Oh, it'd be impossible. Yeah. And, yeah, unless we make incredible trades that somehow address that, but I don't see that even when I squint. So there's a little bit of humor from John Mozillac. Doesn't even see it when he squints the idea that they'll be able to handle all of these needs via the trade market, but you got to figure they're going to handle at least one of them via trade, right? Like it doesn't work to go pay a bunch of starting pitchers and say, see, we 
build it. It's a stopgap, and we fixed it. That is a rarity to be able to, first of all, with the hit rate of this Cardinal front office on free agents, it's not that high. So to think that if they've got three spots open in the rotation and they're going to sign three free agents, odds are you're not going to get quality out of all of them. You've got to identify the guys in the market that, A, you can afford, B, want to be here, and C, are the right guys to go after because you project that they're going to have good performance. And that's scouting and that's advanced data. That's everything that the front office needs to be honed in on when it comes to not only this trade deadline, but when you get to the offseason and you're looking at free agency. Doubling back a bit to the Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt topic, as we talked about, okay, how do these guys feel about it? Well, they understand where we are. That's what Moselock said. A little later on in the conversation, he was asked about the notion of potentially trading away those players. And that's something that nationally, I think, has gotten a lot of pub, even though those kind of in the know, those paying attention locally, realize that that's not in the cards. But you can hear it directly from John Moselock exactly how he perceives that situation going into the deadline. Is it fair to say Goldsmith are not going anywhere? Do they have those assurances? Um, I don't have any intentions of, of trading anybody like them. Um, but, you know, like, again, like when you have, if you're, if you're willing to, like, listen on anything, you, you have to understand. But I doubt that would happen, in, you know, in any scenario at this point. But not ruling anything out at the moment. But, I mean, both those guys have complete no trades. And, um, you know, I think from their standpoint... They really just want to know directionally what we look like for next year. And as long as the direction is, hey, we're adding a bunch of pitching, I think both Goldschmidt and Arenado are going to be okay with it. I really don't think these guys are looking to jump ship. I don't think they're looking to waive those no-trade clauses. You heard from Nolan Arenado back at the All-Star break, the All-Star game. He doesn't have any interest in being anywhere else. He wants to win. I think he still thinks St. Louis could be a place where he can do that. And he's still focused on trying to make that happen in 2023, as you heard from him earlier. So it's uncomfortable where the Cardinals are. Cardinals fans aren't used to seeing it this way, but kind of giving a sense for what John Mozeliak expects at the deadline, what he does not expect, like in terms of trying to shop Arnauto and Goldschmidt. Yeah, you're never going to say never to something because what if a team is just desperate and, and offers a ridiculous package where you go, okay, have to consider that. Or when it comes to Arnauto, if you're getting value of just a ton of players and they're going to pay the salary too, that that has to bake in at some point. But I think bottom line is going to be that Arenado and Goldschmidt, what they're going to bring to your lineup in 2024 as two of your best players still, it's going to be worth more to the Cardinals than whatever they can get in these trade propositions because of what Mo said in terms of what they're valuing right now. 2024, guys prepared to arrive in 2024 is the priority 2025 can be interesting in certain scenarios, but he said 2026 feels like a long way away, which is kind of a hint to say that the Cardinals aren't looking to keep Montgomery and Flaherty through the end of the season in order to do the qualifying offer thing and get a draft pick. Draft picks are not going to help John Mosellock, basically, because he is going to be gone before those draft picks ever see the light of day or the light of the big leagues, however you want to phrase that. So I, I do think there is a sense of, urgency from Bill DeWitt, from John Mosellock to say like what we need to be doing is prioritizing next season to make sure that this kind of year does not happen again and does not become a trend. 
Mo went on to say, pitching, pitching, pitching. I don't know if I even played the clip for you, but he literally did say pitching, pitching, pitching in regards to what they're looking to do with the deadline. As far as the glut of different position players at different spots on the roster, whether that's middle infield, outfield, catcher, I think you could probably say about all three spots, they've got more guys than they need, perhaps, or they have to still identify which guys they want to place their bets on at those various positions. John Mosellek said he doesn't feel compelled to necessarily have to clear up those log jams in the next 14 days. But I think prior to 2024, spring training 2024, that's where if you don't see the trade of a middle infielder in the next couple of weeks, I think you might in the offseason. And it may not be the worst thing. If they can't find the pitcher that they need now, it may not be the worst thing to delay it into the offseason, if only because you might have a chance to find out more about a guy like Nolan Gorman. Like, what does he look like over a full season to give you a better idea of what you could be missing out on if you decide to unload him? Now, the risk in that is he struggles and maybe loses trade value. But the Cardinals may not have interest in trading him anyway, right? Like, he's a good hitter. He's a left-handed power bat. They may want to build around him. But they do have to make some of these difficult decisions and get it figured out pretty quickly. The one area where I think you would end up kind of missing the boat on and and not having as much leverage is if the Seattle Mariners are really looking to to make a move, their GM's not going to wait. It's probably going to happen in the next 14 days. Jerry DePoto has said he wants to add offense to add hitting to that lineup. And Seattle has a ton of pitching. I don't know that they're going to trade from the the high-end group of that pitching. Logan Gilbert would be a great piece to, to go after, but I don't know if he's actually available or available for a price tag that's not just like, hey, give us Jordan Walker. And the Cardinals would be like, how about no? But if they end up getting realistic and, and, and make some trades to try and address their lineup, before the deadline because anything's possible with wild card. Like they they could still be in the mix. I could definitely envision the Cardinals wanting to get in on that, but that's the only circumstance where I feel like you've got to trade a middle infielder because Edmund Gorman Donovan, we've talked a lot about it on B shape daily, like all those players. So kind of interesting, but he's basically saying, no, no, no we don't feel compelled to have to do it. It's just going to be, does it make sense for bettering the roster If so, we're going to look into those types of trades. Moe's open-minded, it sounds like, I think is the way to phrase it. What he's also open-minded to is the idea that the Cardinals could revisit the role of Wilson Contreras as the team's primary catcher based on just how disastrous things have gone. However, he's only open-minded to it. He's not saying they're going to do it. It's certainly not something that's going to happen at this point in the middle of the season. But Ben Fred, I thought, asked a pretty thoughtful question about could it be something you look into doing in the offseason based on the performance of certain guys on the team like Ivan Herrera for instance right now kind of taking command of his opportunities when he does get a chance to to be the backstop out there so this was the question from Ben Fred and I thought an interesting answer from John Mozeliak let me know do you hear the same level of support that guys like Arenado and Goldsmith got in terms of their role being secure as you hear about Wilson Contreras here because I would say the answer to that is a definitive no. Well, as we look toward 2024, how do you view the catching situation? Is it Contreras and you stick with them after a rough debut here in many ways, or do you revisit that perhaps with the time of an offseason? How do you look at where the catcher is moving forward? Yeah, I think we'll table that till the offseason. Um, you know, obviously, uh, when, when we look back at it in the short term now, uh, there's some things that, that need to change. Um, 
I think, you know, short view is kind of nice. We're seeing uh, like Herrera right now, which is good. But, um, you know, ultimately, I, I think when we start thinking about 2024, some of those things will have to be more addressed in the office. The idea that after just a handful of months, the Wilson Contreras signing, which was so touted and so beloved in the offseason, John Mozeliak, his staff, I mean, they spoke about it like a humongous win for the Cardinals. But I think as time has gone on, man, we're seeing the process expedited. All the things that we did talk about on B-Shape Daily when the signing happened, talked about it before the signing happened, all of those concerns about what would it look like year four, year five of a contract for Wilson Contreras. Yeah, it's great. You're going to have the offensive boost that you need, but what is the implication of his work behind the plate and how that's going to age over time? It hasn't even become a factor because of age. It's just a factor, I think, because of what he's been. I don't know if that's the ceiling of who he is, but it's not been a strong year for Wilson Contreras behind the plate. I don't think everything was his fault that was being kind of heaped onto him in terms of the scapegoat kind of practice that took place uh, when they when they benched him from the catching position earlier in the year. But I think we're seeing a lot of just like lackadaisical play from Contreras behind the plate. And I went in on this a couple of nights ago to where I don't feel compelled to spend too much time on it here, but it's certainly a factor. Uh, go back to the, uh, if you're on YouTube, go back to the video that's got Burleson and his leaping catch as the uh, the thumbnail picture because that was the one that I did spend some time going, all right, this Contreras stuff is is getting bad. So go back and, and check out that video if you haven't seen it. But, yeah, it sounds like John Mozalek and the Cardinals are in a spot where they are regretting the move. I don't think you would answer the question that way if you if you didn't have some level of regret. He says, we'll table that. The fact that you're having to say, well, we'll table whether or not we're going to remove Contreras, think of him more as just a DH, or, God forbid, actually put him in the outfield which I could totally see happening. I could see that in November. John Mozeliak is giving a little speech or whatever and saying, yeah, we're going to tell Contreras to try and train for the outfield in the offseason. Because if you can't catch him, you can't just lock up DH every day. That's not the way the Cardinals want to approach the DH role, especially with an aging Gold, uh, Paul Goldschmidt and aging Arenado. You want to be able to get those guys off their feet from time to time, and that's only going to be I think more of a priority as they get into their, in Arnado's case, mid-30s and, and Goldie is late-30s, which I know Goldie's only under contract for one more year. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think if they want to bring him back for longer, they will. But interesting to hear the way that Contreras is spoken about in re- relation to the other stars of this team. It's only been a few months, but I, I feel like they're, uh, they're having some buyer's remorse already on Contreras. And again, I've talked about how it can pan out. His contract can be okay, but he's going to have to hit, hit, hit to a ridiculous degree. And he's he's done a better job of that recently. But on the season, the numbers are, are pretty underwhelming when you consider that he's been lackluster behind the plate. All right. It's late. I'll be totally honest. It's 4 a.m. right now when I'm doing this. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. But anyway, there is a quote from John Mozeliak about what went wrong this season for the Cardinals. I'm going to probably put that into a Tuesday night episode of B-Shave Daily. Going to save that one because we're about ready to wrap this thing up. So if you guys have enjoyed the content so far, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to B-Shave Daily on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you'll be locked in and, and be getting those episodes moving forward. 
something to look forward to. A little bit of a teaser for Tuesday night. But I do have to talk about Genesis Cabrera because he's not on the team anymore. He's not a Cardinal. I mean, technically he's a Cardinal, but he's not coming back. Trust me, he's not coming back. This ain't going to be one of those deals where he's outrighted to Memphis if he clears waivers. No, no, no. His time with the team is done. And it was fascinating to hear the way John Mozeliak phrased it when asked about kind of what deteriorated between the situation of the Cardinals and Cabrera because he was, you'd think, at least a trade candidate. But why the DFA? Why now? I think the big thing, I don't think he loved the role he was in. And, uh, you know, ultimately I felt like um, as we were trying to get this to work, it just we kept, you know, hitting some headwinds. So, you know, now he'll get that opportunity to do it somewhere else. Well, was that strictly a performance issue? Or? Uh, yeah, and I, I think it was also just on a, like a personal issue, meaning I just think he felt like he des- deserves uh, higher leverage innings and didn't always feel like he was getting it. Now, part of that's how a team's playing and you know when you can actually use someone who's available, and um, I don't know if uh, every player always looks at it with that kind of understanding. It seems clear to me that Hennessy's Cabrera had very little understanding of where the Cardinals were with things. And the reason I take the Cardinals side with this is because, well, there are some other off-the-field things. You can Google it. Hennessy's Cabrera, maybe a bit of a knucklehead off the field at times. And to me, it's another one of those guys where, like, the focus, the attention span is not there unless he is in a role that he deems worth his time. Since the really good 2020 season that he had during the COVID year, his numbers have deteriorated year over year. He had like a two-some-odd ERA, and then it was like 3.7, then 4.6. Now it's 5.06. And he's walked a ton of batters. He's not been sharp. The velocity, it used to be like 98, 99. It's like low 90s sometimes. It's just not. He's just not been the same guy. Now, I do think he's going to end up somewhere, probably on a, a playoff-type roster. And I, I tweeted this out. I would set the over-under at one and a half on strikeouts in the playoffs this year for Hennessy Cabrera, and I'm taking the over because it just feels like the next Cardinal that got away. But honestly, this shouldn't be a revisionist history. We know that Hennessy Cabrera has talent. He refused, I think, to make it work with the Cardinals and was acting like he was deserving of more prominent opportunities than he was getting. Um, Uriare was five, brother. Uriare was five. The way it works in this league, is you perform in the opportunities that you're given, you demonstrate responsibility for those moments, and they might give you a little bit more. They'll put more on your plate. So I am not in any way on the side of Hennessy Cabrera with this one. Um, like I had said, he went on to Instagram Live afterward. It was during the Cardinal game. Pretty sure he's wearing his Cardinal tank top because it was a red tank top that was inside out because you could see the tag hanging out. So that's fun. I don't even know what to make of that. It's just objectively hilarious. But yeah, the Cardinals can trade him is the bottom line. And so they'll have a few days, seven days uh, to do that. And then if they don't, I think he goes on irrevocable trade waivers, which basically is like whoever claims him gets him. If nobody claims him, I think he'll be a free agent. I think uh, I think his time with the Cardinals is over. I mean, you you heard Mo there. Well, I think it was more of a personal issue, actually. He wanted this, and now he's going to have that chance. Goodbye. Oh, to have been a fly on the wall during whatever conversation took place between Cabby and John Mozeliak. Or or Cabby and whoever broke in the news. 
because that is hysterical stuff. He's got a 5.06 ERA, and you're going to talk about you want more leverage? Give me a break. So, hey, we end on a lighter note here tonight, but let me know what you think about all this. Drop your thoughts into the YouTube comments section. Like the videos. Check out the Dylan Carlson video if you missed that one. I split up this episode of B-Shape Daily into two. If you want to hear the whole thing consecutively, Spotify is the place to go for that, or Apple Podcast for my iPhone users out there. But at long last, I think that is going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys so much for listening, for sticking with me. We need like a code word for anybody that made it through the entire episode. If you watched all hour and 20 minutes of this thing or listened, let me know. The code word is going to be hashtag every day. You send me a DM on Twitter, hashtag every day, which of course is a play on everyday Dylan. Hashtag every day. Let me know. That means you listen to the whole damn thing and you're a great supporter of the content here on B-Shape Daily. Thank you guys so much and we will talk to you next time provided I'm awake for Tuesday on B-Shape Daily. Peace.